Hi, it's Paul Camillos. Welcome to Series 6 of Shooting the Breeze. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavind alongside the STB crew as we cover women's hoops and women in hoops. We'll share conversations and get a little deeper with inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends from behind the scenes. Especially in this series, we'll be talking to dream chasers that give it their all and lead with their heart. And it starts with ownership. It starts with them seeing a need for these women to have a place to train, a place, like I said, to rehab. It's a, but this facility is more than that just for the players. Again, our business operations also is located here at the headquarters. So, yes, we are the first, but I hope that we can see that all other 12 teams in the league um, make that same commitment to these women. In our next Dream Chasers, we get a Hoops business perspective with President of the Las Vegas Aces, Nikki Fargus. Nikki has an illustrious backstory of her own. Player, coach, and now executive of back-to-back WNBA champs, the Las Vegas Aces. We're incredibly grateful that Nikki shared her time and immense knowledge of the women's game and the direction the Las Vegas Aces are quite literally championing for the league. It's a fascinating insight into the front office of the reigning champs and a behind-the-scenes glimpse into the cohesion between business and basketball. We also talk about the transformation of Las Vegas into a sports entertainment destination, and you sense that the Aces continue to ride a game-changing wave. Enjoy. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. I am being joined today by Nikki Fargus, the president of the Las Vegas Aces. Nikki, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. Nikki, obviously, before we get into the questions, I've got to say, you've got an amazing hoops pedigree. You know, you've played, you know, University of Tennessee, you've played, you're uh, a coach, you've been involved in broadcasting, and now, you know, president of the Aces. It's, It's an amazing journey. Yes, it really has been. And I have met so many great people along the way. And, you know, I started playing this game when I was six years old. Um, I started playing organized basketball through the Boys and Girls Club um, in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and grew up literally 20 minutes from the University of Tennessee. So had a great high school uh, coach, head coach in Jill Pruden. Um, She exposed us to a lot of, of great teams And one happened to be in my backyard, which was Tennessee. And so when I was offered a scholarship to attend the University of Tennessee under the legendary coach Pat Summit, I knew that that was the place for me. A lot of other teams um, and a lot of other coaches that recruited me, um, they had a lot to offer as well. Um, But Tennessee was really calling to me in a different and speaking to me in a different way. And my major was mass communications. They had won uh, national championships in 87, in 1987 and 1989. And um, I'm dating myself, but um, graduated from high school in 1990. Uh, So I just knew that I was going to a championship program. Yeah. And fast forward, I got into coaching uh, years later and uh, been able to win at uh, every level 
uh, win championships as a not only as a former player for Pat Summit, but I also was able to win two championships with the Tennessee Lady Vols in 2007 and 2008 um, as an assistant coach. And I uh, then spread my wings, if you will, and took a head coaching job at UCLA. And from there, I then went to LSU. And uh, then one day, I got a call about the Las Vegas Aces. That's, I mean, you say that it just rolls off the tongue so easily, but it's like, it, it really is an astounding journey. Um, in talking about the Aces, one of the things that is, is quite interesting is the Aces are owned by the same organization that owns the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, the Raiders has existed in professional football since 1960, and probably to a lot of outsiders, there's no real connection between the NFL and a WNBA team for the acquisition of the Aces from, from MGM. Since the acquisition, how has the integration of the two teams and, and facilities and the organization as a whole taken place? Well, the one thing that I will say about Mark Davis is that he's always been a avid fan of women's basketball. Uh, prior to uh, the purchase of the Las Vegas Aces from MGM Resorts, Mark was attending a lot of the Aces games. He was sitting there front and center and supporting these women. And he's told this story, uh, you know, time and time again when he was uh, when he acquired the team. But he talked about these women and how these women should be paid more. And and so he was again, a longtime champion of women's basketball, and he believed in advancing this sport. He believed that it was necessary for there to be an investment. And when you think about what we've been able to accomplish in these three years, we've done a lot to, to help bring uh, this league uh, to where it is today. You know, Mark created a, he's created a community with the Raiders and the Aces where we're supportive of one another. Obviously, we uh have our beautiful state-of-the-art practice facility, which is our ACES headquarters for both business operations and basketball operations. And it's right next door to the Raiders headquarters. Um, so that's that says a lot about having an owner like Mark Davis who believes in providing a home for these women because a lot of times these women, after their season, they're gone. They're, yep. they're gone to work out. They're gone to, to their respective institutions. They're gone back home. And mo more importantly, most of them are gone overseas. And so this gives the players a place to train. This mm. gives the place of players to rehab. We're not having to um, see if this gym space is available. They have a, an opportunity to come into this practice facility any time that they want to, any day of the week. And that, to me, has allowed us to also create this buzz amongst our Las Vegas community, but the community of women's basketball. So you're seeing other franchises now talking about, you know, creating and, and building a facility for their women's professional sports team. So Seattle has broken ground and there's been a lot of teams that are talking about doing just that. We're going to bounce around a little bit here because just talking about the, the practice facility, I've, I've seen video footage and, and photos of the of the facility. It seems like it's pretty much a state-of-the-art place, and it, it seems like it's way above anything that's available to any of the other WNBA teams. Yeah. How much do you think that that's really helped 
the aces to be able, I mean, let's be honest, you went back to back, which is not an easy thing to do. Well, you know, every time you see a player walk into this building, they're, they're proud to say, this is where I train. This is, this is what I represent. You know, their locker room includes televisions and mini computers at each player's stall. Um, You know, this is a 64,000 square foot facility. Um, And, and again, to make the commitment of over $40 million to give these players um, a place that they can obviously have access to because, you know, one of the things that these players are doing, they're playing year round. So where's the recovery? Where's the rehab? That's important for us to create longevity in their career. But the amenities that we offer here, anything from hyperbaric chambers to the cold tubs to the hot tubs, we have a family room, um, which has a napping room for if you brought your kids or you brought your family, they have a place to go. There's a film room for these women. But also part of this, too, that which is pretty impressive is that the construction and the configuration of the building, we're on the, the second level with the mezzanine style advantage point, and we can see over to the court. Wow. So you can hear the ball bouncing. You can hear the players playing their music. Anytime you hear country music, that's Jackie Young in the gym. Um, <laughs> but we can walk to each other's office, so it's nothing for us to have a Becky Hammond, our head coach, when we're telling her what our ticket and sales team and marketing team is doing for her to walk down and say thank you and let them know how much she's appreciative of what they've been able to do. So our building and, and how it's configured is fostering cohesion, is fostering us making sure that we're collaborating as basketball and business. And I think that's pretty unique for us to be able to say that we're both. Um, but I, I know that we've got a lot of things to talk about, but I, I just I can't see enough how this facility has allowed us to stay in a position to go after free agents yeah. um, because they know that their care is going to be top notch here. It's given us an opportunity to um, when the players are saying, hey, I, I've, I'm going to go back here so because there's a place that I can play. No, here it is right now. We have our coaches here who are in season, obviously, but they're here also out of season. They're here year round. So the players are able to still continue to train and work out with their respective position coaches in the off season. And that's really important. It seems to me that the Aces have set the bar for not only the WNBA, but also all women's sports with, with initiatives like this, facilities like you've got. How do you think that the other teams, at not only just in hoops, but m- women's sports more generally, are seeing this facility and, and looking at it and going, we're going to have to do something or else you know, we're going to be seen as potentially not being a top flight organisation? Well, you know, we we were the first to build a facility that is solely devoted to a WBA team. It's not a, a shared building, but it's also a building that we invite the community. We have um, different events that we will host in our facility without displacing our players, obviously. But, you know, Seattle Storm, they've invested in their new facility. And I think that's um, a testament to what we've been able to do, but there's other teams that have been talking about what they may do as well. Um, and, and it starts with ownership. It starts with them seeing a need 
for these women to have a place to train, a place, like I said, to rehab. It, it's a, but this facility is more than that just for the players. Again, our business operations also is located here at the headquarters. So yes, we are the first, but I hope that we can see that all other 12 teams in the league um, make that same commitment to these women. And one of the other things that that the aces have done and i've noticed this particularly is you've been very as an organization very open and engaging with the media whereas some other teams maybe have not been so much how much of this is is the strategy of the organization to to help build the fan base and the fan engagement and the wider engagement with the team you know it's important for us to utilize all platforms um social digital to really uplift this league. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to uplift this league. We want this league to, when you think about, we just recently, a couple of years ago, celebrated the 25th anniversary of the WBA. What's the next 25 years going to look like? Mm. And I think we've been in the forefront of what that looks like. There's a lot of other uh, players um, in this league who are using their own platforms to really speak to some of the challenges of being a WBA player, but more importantly, they're also highlighting the things that we're able to do here. Um, we also feel it's important to connect the present players with those who came before them. It was important for our franchise to connect with the alumni. And so we created the alumni um, where we would have an alumni weekend. Uh, year one, we had alumni at every single home contest. Wow. Uh, we would have about four or five come in. It's uh, It was an all-expense-paid trip, you plus a guest, to come in and take in an Aces game. And, and then since then, we've created an alumni weekend where we bring all of the alums who played for either San Antonio and or Utah and or the Las Vegas Aces, and they get to network, they get to see each other, they probably haven't seen each other in years. Mm. Um, so this is a great opportunity for us to also showcase the, the history of our, our franchise. And the, again, connect with those who have paved the way um, and then to have the Asia Wilsons and Kelsey Plum be able to meet these women and see some of the women who played when this game was not as popular as it is today. Uh, so that was really important to Mark Davis, too, as well. This is a subject that we talk about a lot on the podcast, um, the history of the sport and the history of teams. Obviously, the WNBL here in Australia has been running for over 40 years, but quite often we find that um, talking to fans and some of the younger players, they don't necessarily understand the history of the league and what's happened to get it to the point where it's at. How important do you think that is, not only for players, but also for for kids that are watching the sport and saying, hey, I want to play? You know, I, I think women's basketball has really been in one of the, the sports that have affected all other women's sports. Um, I think when you think about... Um, us being a headcount sport through college, and then you have your Olympic sports. But the NBA and the decision that was made to create this league in 1996, um, but we started playing in 1997, um, you've got to give a lot, of, a lot of credit to those teams in the beginning who really you know, the Cheryl Swoops, the Lisa Leslie's, uh, the Cynthia Coopers, 
Um, when you look at Houston Comets and what they were able to do and the New York Liberty, but you kind of also got to know that these players also were part of the USA basketball women's national team mm. who played in the 1996 Summer Olympics. And so a lot of the, the core of our league was based off of those players who played in the Olympics. And obviously Houston dominated the league expansion with, <laughs> with, with four championships. But I remember, I remember that campaign. Now, obviously I'm in my twenties, but I remember that campaign about we got next. And, and, yeah. and you saw Rebecca Lobo and Lisa Leslie and Cheryl Swoops on, on these different commercials. And that said a lot to a young kid growing up that, wow, I can go do that too. I can go play professional sports and I can do it here in the States because when I graduated, you still had to go overseas. Yeah. So that campaign we got next really, to me, was really powerful. And then it was replaced with, we got game. So, so it's, it's really interesting to see where we have come. We've come a long way. There's still more work to be done, but I do, I do think that it's very important for us to, to know those names. It's to know that these women were traveling on buses. They weren't always flying on planes, uh, that these women were going from city to city and they were doing it because they wanted this league to be successful and they wanted this league to be better for the next generation to come after them. There's so much that can be learned from the history of any organization or sport to help push it forward because, you know, quite often, and I'm, I'm going to use the NFL as an example here, you hear people talk about, and I'll stick to the Raiders, right? You hear people talk about, um, Jim Otto, you hear them talk about Jim Plunkett, you hear them talk about players of the past and the games that they had. And I think that's one of the key things that helps build those legends. And we need to do that and have that happen for the WNBA and the WNBL here in Australia. It transforms the sport and makes it takes it from being just a sport to being something that stories are told about. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think it's important, too, to create, you know, those marquee matchups. Yeah. Right. You think about in the NBA. I remember growing up and you had the Chicago Bulls, the Lakers versus the, the bad boys, the, yep. the Pistons. And we're able to do that. And, you know, there was a lot of a lot of eyes and a lot of talk about the Las Vegas Aces and the New York Liberty. And that's great for the game. We yep. need that um, to talk about Asia Wilson and Brianna Stewart. I mean, you want those you want those names to live in households. You want to build their brand up. Um, you want them to be marketable. You want them to stay in market so they don't have to feel like they have to go overseas mm. uh, to supplement their income. So it's, it's really important for us to continue to model ourselves after the leagues that have been successful. And you mentioned uh, some of the, the great players that have come through the Raiders. We have some great players that have come through the Aces. Yep. I mean, but we're in a unique situation because, you know, the Raiders, yes, they just recently, you know, when you think about being in Oakland for so long, you know, we were in Utah from 1997 to 2002. Then the franchise went to San Antonio from 2003 to 2017. They were in San Antonio. Then you come here to 2018 and we've been here in Las Vegas and I hope we stay here. I hope we don't um, have to move around, but you don't see a lot of NFL teams. Um, that you might see them 
a couple of times in in 20 something plus years but yep. that's the one thing about the w2 that you look at the WNBA and the history of the w there's only several teams that are still in existence as far as being one of the first teams in the in the league and we're one of those franchises that are still in existence a little while back you mentioned that you know becky hammond can walk down to the the ticketing team and and thank them for what they've done for getting the crowds in the door i want to just touch on on becky hammond because it it leads to another issue that i think is big with with women's sports now when she was hired as the head coach there were a lot of headlines some were positive some i'll say not so positive right where there were complaints about the salary she was being paid and there was a perception that she'd taken a backward step from being an nba assistant to being a wnba head coach now for me personally i thought okay she's getting paid market rate as a business you want to get the best people you can and you to get those people you've got to pay market rates and also, there was that whole issue about, you know, it's perceived as a backward step, which I don't think it is. I mean, you've gone from being an assistant coach at a professional basketball team to being the head coach of a professional basketball team, and it's, it's the same game, let's be honest. Why do you think that it caused so many of those headlines? You know, I think when you look at Becky Hammond and you look at what she has meant to the game, mm. Let's not just say men's or in, yeah. the men's game or the game because she's been a part of both. She's just been part of basketball. She is a basketball coach, and she's shown that she can coach men and or women. Mm. I think when you want to um, establish what this league is valued at, we have to put more. We have to place more value. We just do, and we placed a lot of value on our head coach. Mm. And rightfully so, very deserving of the, the contract that she's agreed upon. Um, I think Becky Hammond has an unbelievable opportunity to help move the WNBA, which she has shown where on the business side, we can show the value of a head coach of her caliber. Her ability to take a team in year one and win a world championship. That was an unbelievable example of excellence on her part and her staff part and how she got this team to really respond to her style, which then led to this community wanting to be a part of it. It led to fans wanting to come out and support and cheer on the Las Vegas Aces to the point where you look at where we were coming off of the COVID year mm -hmm. in 2021. And then you look at where we are right now in 2024, under Becky Hammond as our head coach, two championships. We are number one in social media engagement and impressions. We led the league in attendance. We have now since sold roughly 72% of our building is sold out. Wow. Our marketing department everyone in this building all are striving to make this team make this franchise make this community and make this state proud in doing so you can see that 
other teams are also garnishing more attention because when the Las Vegas Aces come to town, mm. people are going to come and watch because they know it's going to be a great game. They know that it's fun to watch this team. Whether you're a fan of ours or not, you still will circle when the Las Vegas Aces come to town. And so that only uplifts the bottom line for other teams yep. to step up and do the same. So this was a very brilliant and smart move to one, go after Becky Hammond. But Bill Lambeer has been so instrumental in growing this league as well. Yeah. When he um, retired, we lost a champion for this game that not just championed for them on the court, he also championed for them off the court. So I know that he also was part of this by putting together this roster. Yep. Um, we added a few more pieces to the puzzle, but this was Becky Hammond putting her stamp on what this should look like and what it should be. Yeah. I, I Look, I've watched the Aces over the last couple of seasons, and even bef before that. And I have to say, as a team and the growth that's happened in the team, the, the play and, and the roster that's been built, again, it's been an amazing journey since the team moved to Las Vegas. Um, and you have touched on an interesting point. You mentioned Bill Lambeer as a head coach for the team and who's championed the sport. Now, as you mentioned earlier, Bill Lambeer was one of the bad boys of the Pistons. <laughs> um, and I think there are people out there who were surprised by the men who champion the women's game. So obviously mm. Bill Lambeer is one. Um, Mark Davis is another. Another one which I've used as an example is ex-governor of Minnesota, uh, Jesse Ventura, who used to go to as many of the Lynx games as he could get to. Mm -hmm. These are not people that, you know, someone off the street would go, oh, yeah, they're going to watch women's basketball. How important do you think it is for the sport and the wider acceptance amongst those people who are kind of like, oh, yeah, it's girl ball rather than, no. you know. <laughs> How important do you think it is having men like that come up and publicly make their position known and say, hey, this is, this is good ball. you got to come and watch this. I think it's extremely important to have this allyship, if you will, with men supporting these women, but also more importantly, you know, the, the Mark Davis, the Joe Shotsai, the Matt Ishbia's just making this investment in these women is huge. And then putting women in leadership roles also is equally as important. It's interesting when you come to an ACES game and I was speaking on a panel and I shared with them that 52% of our, of our fan base are men. And people would think that it was the reverse, but over half of our fan base are, are men. And so you're seeing, you know, little boys grow up watching the Aces and that's their WBA team and their favorite player. Yes, you would say, who's your favorite player? And they may say uh, LeBron James or they could easily say, you know, Michael Jordan. Now you're hearing young boys saying, oh, Asia Wilson is my favorite. Kelsey Plum. I love Kelsey Plum. That to me says that we're doing the right thing. We're moving in the right direction where they're not seeing them and not seeing Asia and, and, and Kelsey and Chelsea and, and Jackie and Candace. Oh, look at those girls. They're looking at them and like, look at those players. Yeah. And so we got to be very aware of the messaging that we put out there. And I think we've done a pretty good job of doing so. But I do, I do think we have to be aware 
that we can't, we, when I say we, I'm thinking, I'm saying women, that we cannot do this by ourselves. We have to have our male counterparts championing for us. And that's been huge um, to have a head coach for the Las Vegas Aces, um, who, like you said, was one of the bad boys. And I mean, he's going to come with a lot of respect. Mm. Um, but then for him to say, look, I will serve as the head coach and general manager of the Detroit Shock. And then what he was able to do with the Detroit Shock uh, says, you know, being a two-time NBA champion. But, you know, I want to tell people he won more championships as a WBA. (laughs) (laughs) So, again, you know, you look at this, you know, Becky Hammond played in the W, coached in the NBA. Bill played in an NBA, coached in the WBA. Coaching is coaching. Yep. Coaching is coaching. Yeah, it's um, one of the things that we, we always say. It's it's the same game. I mean, that's it. It's not. It's not. There's men's basketball and there's women's basketball. It's basketball. It's basketball. Yeah. Now you know we, you did go back to back, and one of the things is it, it's always said going back to back is one of the hardest things because generally you know teams after they've had that first one they tend to relax a little bit and. You know, the, the second season may not necessarily be the outcome that you're looking for. And there's a lot of pieces that go into putting that puzzle together. One of the things that's always fascinated me is what does the front office have to contribute to make it as easy as possible for the team to be able to achieve a goal like that? You know, one of the things that we do is we set goals for ourselves here in the front office and we have goals where you know you want to be the first you want to be number one you want to lead the league and we're able to do so and it's measurable Um, i mentioned earlier you know a goal that we've set as far as with ticket and sales is to sell out our building and now our building seats you know right under 10,000 fans and everybody is aware that that's a contribution that we can make to make sure that the opposing team hears and feels this community behind the Las Vegas Aces and we talk about you know that arena being energetic and having so much life to it. And these fans, our fans are are so engaged and we've done a great job of making sure that we meet them where they're at financially. We have tickets that range anywhere from $10 ticket and there's no bad seat at Nick Ultra Arena, let me mind you of that. But we have tickets that range from $10 to if you're sitting courtside. So we're inviting families and friends and young kids and different demographics to be able to attend and watch the Las Vegas Aces. So our ticket model, as far as prices, is huge in filling that building. And then what we're wanting to do on the side of marketing and making sure that the brand is out there. So when you walk around and someone sees that Aces logo, they're going to be excited that their WBA team are the two times world champions. That has a lot to do with the strategy behind how do we get the brand out there? What are the things that we're doing in the community? So making sure that we're tapping into not only this Henderson where our where we're located, but also we need to be in Northern Las Vegas and Summerlin. We need to make sure that we're in the community because they do such a great job of, we have 20 home regular season games and the community comes to us. 
So the least that we can do is go to them, yeah. um, especially when we have time to do so. So that's important to us in making sure that the basketball feels as though, hey, look what the front office is doing to make sure that this arena is packed for us, making sure that there's opportunities for us to walk into, you know, the mall or walk to the walk into the grocery store and and there's fans coming up to them saying, hey, I watched you play. Love you. That's rewarding for these young women. It's an interesting aspect to the game because, you know, you're out there, you're, you're mixing with the community and the community, th that feedback from the community, I think, I think it actually helps the players feel more engaged and, you know, wanting to deliver more for that community that, that, yes. that embraces them. Mm -hmm. How do you think in terms of Las Vegas, because not that long ago, Las Vegas had no professional sports teams. It's now got a WNBA team, an NFL team, uh, an NHL team, and you've got MLB coming in. What does this say about the engagement with the community and professional sports, and how will these other teams coming in potentially help to grow the engagement with the Aces? You know, you mentioned all of these teams that we have here and, um, you know, just the Oakland you mentioned baseball just now recently um, is coming here. We're starting a professional women's volleyball team that they kick off their season February the 14th. You know, there's that whole from Sin City to Sports City. Um, we're becoming a sports destination we, because this is about gaming. This is about entertainment. Um, we're becoming the sports capital of the world. With you, when you look at, we have over 42 million visitors that come through Las Vegas. But this fan base for us in particular is those here in Vegas. And we do want to attract a lot of the, the people that come from all over the world here. And that is going to continue to happen. They now are going to look and when they're saying, hey, what can I do when I'm in Vegas? Oh, there's a Las Vegas Aces game. And so they may say, look, we would like to take our family because we have an interest in basketball. We want to see women's basketball. But I, I think that's where we definitely have done a, a great job of setting the tone by bringing these professional sports teams here. Um, it allows for our economy to thrive. Um, when you think about, you know, lodging, when you think about food and beverage and the restaurants and the service here, all of that matters when you're bringing these professional sports teams here. And then what's to follow that is you're seeing now that a lot of college teams and uh, different classics and competition at the collegiate level, in particular basketball, you're seeing them come here and host events. Um, so I think it's having a trickling down effect. When you think about um, this is becoming the the place where sports will be hosted. I mean, just we've got Formula One also. Mm. I forgot to mention them. We just finished that up. Um, you've got the Super Bowl. Yep. I, I mean, what more can you ask for? <laughs> we've hosted the WNBA All-Star Weekend here. It's just perfect for that. It's perfect for sporting events. It's perfect for families to come here and those who are maybe don't have families that come mm -hmm. here as well. This city has, and this community has a lot to offer. Yeah, I, actually, I thought you might have just glossed over the Formula One purely because of all the traffic chaos it caused. 
<laughs> no, but it was, you know what? It was really, it was really neat to be and experience it. Yeah. Um, I was able to go down there and I'll tell you, it's, it's a production, but to see the strip transformed, because you're like, how are they doing this? They're putting a track through the strip. and <laughs> yeah. yeah, actually, we, it was at a really good time for us here in Australia. So we watched the race and it looked like it was really well attended and it was a really interesting race to watch. And yeah, uh, it really looked like it was a production because having been to Vegas in the past, I was looking at the landmarks and going, wow, there's been a huge transformation in the streets. Um, mm -hmm. So it really does seem that Vegas is, is making this move from just being the gambling mm -hmm. focus to a much wider focus of sports and, and entertainment, as you said. And I think one of the things that's really important, I think sports in other countries and certainly, you know, uh, need to look at is they need to understand that they're not necessarily, they're not in the sports business, but as you said, they're in the sports entertainment business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What sort of leads do you think they can take from the approaches that the organization has taken to try and build themselves up? Is it that ethos of, we're not a sports club, we're a sports entertainment business, or is there something else? No, I think you've, you know, said it correctly. I think when you look at yourself as entertainment, we're entertaining you through playing this game with great precision. We're entertaining you by playing this game through hard work and teamwork and discipline. We're, we're entertaining you in what are uh, halftime performance look like and what our in-game activations are and what our concourse is filled with for you to be entertained with. There's so many interactive, um, now there's so, so many things that you're doing through your apps on your phones, your smartphones. So there's this whole thing with AI now, the technology that is keeping fans engaged and the different partnerships that we've created. And some of one of our best um, in-game activations is when the opponent goes to the free throw line and uh, it's entitled miss twice and get a slice. Um, we have a partner with slice of Vegas. When the opponent misses its first free throw, the crowd now is like clapping because if they miss two in a row, if they miss two in a row, everyone gets slice, slice pizza. of pizza. And so that second one, the crowd they are even more loud. They are going crazy because they want them to miss that second free throw. And so if you've never been in that building, like let's say there's a rookie who has just entered the WBA and you're just like, why are they screaming so loud at me at the free throw line? Because <laughs> they, they want, want that slice of pizza. pizza. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> okay, look, there is one other thing I want to talk about. And I think it's something that, all sports need to be aware of, and certainly women's sports, just because of the timing, is the amount of turmoil that's going on in broadcast, mm. right? You, your traditional cable and linear broadcasters are losing market share. Streamers are coming through. There's a lot more fight for eyeballs. Um, from the point of view of the front office stuff, what do you have to do to be able to keep those eyeballs on given the competition that's going on for people? Well, I know this has been an ongoing conversation, but I will say, you know, we're going to continue to look at um, 
who and our primary television rights deal is going to be with. We're going to continue to to push for these women to to have exposure and be able to see them on television. And as you were saying, you know, you've got a lot of streaming devices now that are in play. But I will say that we are excited about what the numbers are projecting, what we are doing. And when you see us on television and what our viewership numbers are looking like, they are very positive. And then we're also, we also know access to watch these games are in high demand and the dedication made by our broadcast partners is just to start. And I think that's something that we're going to continue to to see an uptick in. I do believe that. I can say, you know, I came from college athletics and, you know, the women's final four uh, <laughs> had over 10 million viewers. Yeah. So, you know, that's more than a lot of professional sports and, and that's men professional sports. So I think there's a popularity around these athletes at the collegiate level, like the Caitlin Clarks of the world and the Angel Reese's where people are tuning in, Aaliyah Boston. And, you know, th there's just so many great players and people are following them. Mm. So hopefully the, the hope and the strategy should be they should follow them to the respective WBA teams yeah. that they are drafted to. And I think just staying relevant in the offseason, I think it's important for the WBA brand to live in the offseason as well. And that is... Again, when we have our opportunity to get in the community, um, that's great. It's great to see uh, different people and personnel that's affiliated with the WNBA that is doing a lot of commentary. I know I do some with ESPN and the SEC Network. Uh, Becky Hammond does some work with NBA TV. Uh, Chelsea Gray does some work and has done some work with the ACC network. We're still talking a little bit about the aces and, and keeping us relevant through the course of the college women's basketball. I think that's important too, to be able to tap into the television and what the, the games that they have televised as well. So, Okay. Nikki, I, I really have to thank you so much for this conversation and for your time. I've learned a lot and it's really been fascinating learning more about the ACEs and the organization. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, well, I appreciate it, Paul. Thank you, too, for helping grow this game. I mean, it's important for us to do this collectively as a group. And when we talked about the Mark Davis and having the allies, I know that you're one, too, as well. Thank you so much. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you get our latest pod. And we really appreciate if we could get a like and a review so we can extend the reach to more listeners. And don't forget, follow us on Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn.